The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Again, Jesus left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him off by himself away from the crowd. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting touched his tongue. And then he looked up to heaven and groaned and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His speech impediment was removed and he spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he, t- he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished and they said, he has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The Gospel of the Lord. I always wonder if I can put my notes in the right place, but it never works. When I was growing up, um, I don't know, my family was kind of poor-ish in mentality. So the idea of watching the normal Disney-like fairy tale movies was kind of foreign in my family. We kind of had these like cheap knockoff fairy tales. So it was like same story, Snow White, Cinderella, but it was like cheaper animation, cheaper actors, everything was cheaper about it. And they would do like little things with the story that were actually closer to the, the tales from like the Grimm brothers and Hans Christian Andersen and stuff, which is interesting. So I would always get confused when people would talk about like Cinderella or um, Snow White and stuff, because I would be like, I don't remember that in my knockoff version of the Disney tales. But I bring up these, the Disney tales is because there's something like uh, kind of interesting about all of them. In every single one of them, there's some aspect of like magic or like a, I don't know, some spell or like there's some fantastical thing that happens. It's like mythic or something like that. And so like, okay, so Cinderella can go to the ball, but she has to be back by midnight. Um, in the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Dwarves, the Seven Dwarves tell her to beware of whoever comes to the door and do not listen to them. So you can stay with us, you can live with us, but you need to be aware. And all of them have something like this, sleeping beauty. You can have fairies at the wedding banquet, but you need to make sure you invite all of the fairies. Otherwise, one of them's gonna get super angry and ruin your lives. So I'm going to add the man born deaf, or the man who is deaf, I'm going to add him to this list of fairy tales. Jesus goes up to him and says, I will make you hear again, but do not tell anybody about me. Do not tell everybody what I have done. And for like, you know, decades and stuff, us, especially like the modern mind, can't really comprehend this or we don't understand it. Scripture scholars call it the quote unquote Markin secret where in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells people, don't tell anyone about what's happened. Keep it a secret. And all, no, none of them listen to him. All of them 
talk to people about what happened. And so there is, it's, so we often wonder, like, why is the command there? Why is, like, why is he commanding them not to tell anybody? It doesn't make any sense. And so we're, like, bothered by this command. And let's be honest, we're, we're like, we're bothered by pretty much all commands, right? If anyone commands us to do anything, we don't like it, right? And so this reminds me of something. So when Jesus spits and he groans and he says, be opened, this was something called a sign act. It was something weird done by the prophets that signified some deeper meaning to what they were doing. So people would see Jesus doing this and they would say, he's symbolically doing something. He's like making a sign with his body. So what was the sign that he was making with his body? Creation. He spit and he created. And so this image of creation, of God saying, be opened to the darkness and light came forth. So Jesus is making an image of the creation. And so with the creation of everything, God creates Adam and Eve and he tells them, you can be perfectly peaceful and you can be perfectly happy in this place so long as you don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so every single like fairy tale in a way describes to us the reality that yes, you can have fantastic and incredible things. Life can be exciting, life can be amazing and perfectly happy. And all of it is dependent on one string attached, one small thing. Do not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of, of good and evil. To Pandora, don't open the box. And of course, we fail every single one of these. We eat of the true, of, of the tree. We, we, just, we just ruin everything. That's kind of like our thing in life, right? So oftentimes we challenge this command we say, why do we have to follow this command or why do we have to like have this command? And one of my favorite writers points out that when you ask that question, why do I have to follow this command? It's a challenge on the basis of life itself. Why does Cinderella have to be back by midnight? Well, why does she have to have a pumpkin that's a stagecoach, you know? Yes, why does Snow White have to listen to the seven dwarves? Why are there seven dwarves and why is there a prince and why is she living in this land? Why do I have to hide this from other people? Why can't I tell other people that I've been made, I can speak again and I can hear again? Why should you be able to speak at all? Whenever we challenge these commands, whenever we challenge these kind of rules of life, in a way it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Why should we live at all if this is what is attached to it? Why do we need to follow the law if life itself is the gift it's, that is given to us every single day? And I think this arises from something, um, and this is where I do my annoying, I don't know, nerd out thing. For us moderns, this is especially like, well, we've been sold a, a lie, all right? I'm just gonna lay it out there for you. And the lie is the fact that life is ordinary. 
and that is bad. I grew up with this image that to be ordinary meant to be worthless, to be nothing. If I don't stick out, then I'm worth nothing. If I'm not better than other people's, then I'm really worth nothing. If I go along with the crowd, I am worthless. We're kind of taught that being ordinary, going, doing the ordinary things of life, is worthless and empty. And so we take this mentality on, right? We do our lives, and if my life is ordinary, then it's awful. It's boring. It's boredom. We are a bored people. So I go to my office job, and I sit in my office, and I'm bored. And I go back home to my, my wife and my two kids, and I'm bored. I go to my, my professor's classroom where I learn about things, and I'm bored out of my mind. I have to study, and I'm even more bored out of my mind. I have to go to this dumb thing called mass every week, and I'm bored out of my mind. And the lie is that life is ordinary and ordinary is bad. That is a lie. Why do I say this? Because the type of life that says that life is boring is the type of life that challenges any command to enjoy life. Life is not ordinary. Doing your laundry is not ordinary. Doing your homework is not ordinary. Going to a college class is not ordinary. Going to your job is not ordinary. All of these things, everything, every single little thing is profoundly extraordinary. There is nothing ordinary about a single moment of our lives. We exist and we are loved by God. We have an eternal father that loves us from all eternity. We have a being that wills our best good every single moment of our lives. Everything in your life is completely extraordinary. And it does not matter how you compare with anyone else in your life. If you are loved by God, that is enough. And so I challenge you. Why do I talk about these commands? Why do I talk about any of this? Do, don't be bored with life. Yeah. Every week you're forced to go to Mass. What is Mass? Mass is a foretaste of heaven on earth. In this chapel, we do our best to create beauty, to imitate what heaven might be like. On this altar, something ordinary and boring, bread and wine, is transformed into God himself. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty boring, I guess, you know. This is what we believe. We do not believe the lie that this life is boring. We do not believe the lie that commands are worthless and need to be challenged. We believe that commands are connected to life because life is good and existence is worth it. 
And if I have to follow something, if I have to do something because of it, I, I'm fine with that. If I get to exist, that's enough. In this Eucharist, we receive God himself. He breaks into our lives so that every single moment can be extraordinary, so that no moment can be boring. We are told the fairy tales not so we can believe some moralistic message and, I don't know, grow up wanting to be a fairy princess. We are told fairy tales so that we can learn that life is a fairy tale. And anyone who says otherwise is lying. And this Eucharist, let us receive truth himself so that our lives may not be empty with boredom, but may be extraordinary.